Rochester Today with Andy Brownell and Tom Ostrom on News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Good morning and welcome to Rochester Today. We're at Tuesday again, which means Tom Ostrom is joining me. Good morning, Tom. Excuse me, Andy. <laughs> Good morning. The only reason I'm laughing, folks, is off the air. Before we started the program, we said my cough is pretty much better. And the first thing you do is cough. Well, mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad to hear you're feeling better. Thank you. So what's in the mailbag, I guess? Okay. The Babylon Bee uh, satire, uh, the... Uh, Women's Basketball Association player Brittany Griner uh, was arrested in Russia when she went there to play ball uh, for having, I guess, some uh, narcotics with her. And she just got released uh, in exchange for a Russian terrorist arms dealer. Uh, We'll say more about him later. But anyway, Brittany was known for her anti-American statements. Uh, That's the way I'd put what she said. Uh, criticizing America, downing America. So the Babylon Bee says, Brittany Griner flees back to Russia in terror after getting home and seeing the American flag again. (laughs) (laughs) As she spotted the flag at the tarmac of Los Angeles International Airport, she says, that's a symbol of my oppression. I see slavery. I see Jim Crow. These are things she did say. Um, uh, no, No tolerance for the black members of the LGBTQ community, and I'm being threatened already. Uh, I'm going back uh, to Putin. And then people said, well, she's not paid enough and this nation discriminates against her. I guess she has a contract for $220,000 a year. But anyway, a little bit of humor there from uh, Babylon B. And then Branko shows uh, um, uh, Elon Musk the new owner of Twitter, and he's got a septic tank truck out uh, out of the uh, uh, front door, and he's pumping stuff back like fascism and corruption and censorship and pumping it into the truck, acne, septic taste, septic and waste removal, and he's saying, hmm, we're going to need a bigger truck. <laughs> <laughs> and then <clears throat> from from Rose... I'm doing the Ascension Press Bible in a Year podcast and the book of Proverbs and Proverbs and others. And it says over and over that about the wise man and the foolish man, I'm paraphrasing, but when a foolish man expresses his views, it's best for the wise man to hold his tongue. I see that in our world today. I can see why Republicans hold their tongues, Tom, and they don't fight back. Uh, what good does it do with as tough and mean as they are? Uh, and so should we just shut up when liberals say idiotic things or just suffer the labels and the attacks? Um, they bully their way. Do we become like them to fight them? Um, Trump uh, puzzled Republicans and Democrats. He was a conservative and not disciplined in his behavior like most conservatives. He pushed back as hard as he was pushed. But she's mulling over whether we should uh, retaliate against, uh, in kind, against Democrats. And I would argue, Tom, that I don't know if Trump really is a conservative. I, I, I think the populist label is more accurate than conservative. I mean, during his administration, the 
federal budget ballooned, not as much as it ballooned under the Biden administration, but it ballooned regardless. Yeah. And uh, there were a number of other actions that he took that would uh, distance himself from what I would traditionally think of as a conservative point of view. Well, he was pro-American, uh, you know, a, a, a nationalist in that sense. People don't like that word. Um, and, and he he, he, he went with the traditional constitutional interpretation of things and he, he decried liberal excesses. So uh, I think he was conservative and he was in business in his background, but but uh, but I like the populist label that you use, and uh, uh, they have many elements of philosophy in that label. And among them, that's true. Uh, so uh, I, I I take your point. But anyway, then I was talking to KLS about this, getting sometimes disappointed with the Republicans what they do or don't do, say or not say. And I said, I wish we could form a conservative party and that it could survive uh, in this system. And uh, KLS said, that sounds ideal, but could it survive the progressives and their mouthpieces uh, ripping uh, the new party to shreds, the media not covering them and, uh, you know, debate rules excluding them in that sense. But I'm finished being a Republican. My epiphany came Tuesday when Congress presented medals to the Capitol Police. Uh, was Ashley Babbitt's murderer among the recipients? The Democrats are diabolically smart. They're getting every last drop out of the insurrection. Uh, One of the fallen officers uh, and the uh, family snubbed McConnell and McCarthy uh, at the ceremonies. uh, uh, But one of the the fallen officer was not killed by the uh, um, insurrectionists. He died of a stroke. Although someone could argue the pressure of the environment caused the stroke. I don't know. But anyway, some comments about uh, Republicans and labels and what should we do. And that's the mailbag. It was interesting. Rose point about uh, the wise man bites his tongue. And you and I have had this somewhat of a debate over the years, many years, in fact. And you are a proponent of a more aggressive uh, fighting spirit among conservatives to counter what you see as the excesses of the liberals as far as to meet them head on, I guess would be a good way to put it. And I've always argued or tried to, <laughs> to take the high road and, and you, have, you know, and you've expressed weariness with taking the high road because you argue that it hasn't really, um, it hasn't worked. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess what Rose was pointing out that kind of sums up the whole debate within the Republican Party over which direction to go, the street brawling way of Donald Trump or the more um, stoic ways of the past. Mm-hmm. Good summary, Andrew. Doesn't resolve anything, but it describes it. <laughs> because I, I do see it within, well, well, within the nation as itself. I mean, we have... I personally feel the majority of Americans don't like the street brawling by either side. And I, and when I say street brawling, I'm including verbal street brawling, the, the name calling, the um, lack of civility. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. But the people who are controlling the parties and controlling the party's purse strings on both sides um, apparently uh, are very much in favor of that. Yeah. Well, I don't like... Uh, aggressive behavior, threatening behavior, uh, um, in that sense. 
but I mean fighting back, I mean arguing and counterpunching and, 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 and using philosophies and policies that stop them in their tracks and that counterpoint, like on the floor of the Senate, they're supposed to be a deliberative body. Uh, I don't like these mealy-mouthed people getting up to the microphone and just sounding so submissive or non-responsive like McConnell. But uh, I don't. I certainly don't mean physical violence or no. And that's insults, but but some people think that's what you should do if that's what happens to you. And I draw the line there as you described it. Right, and you have always. That's why I was referring to more of the verbal argument side of it. And the, but your point is well taken because I, I think there has not been a great orator for the Republicans or the conservatives since Reagan, probably. Yeah, I think you're right. Jim Jordan is aggressive verbally, and he'll be heading one of the investigating committees when the House uh, resumes under Republican control. But that's right. It's a deliberative body, and many of the speakers are not articulate. They're not eloquent. Uh, uh, I guess I'm too critical. <laughs> I don't know. When you look at McConnell, I, I when he speaks, I can't keep my eyes open, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's monotone. There's no inflection. There's no emotion whatsoever. Yeah, and it's not persuasive. I agree with you on that. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, interesting. Hmm. That's it for the mailbag. So we'll go on and we'll take a break and come right back. Tom Ostrom's here. I'm Andy Brownell. It's Rochester today on News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. This is the family's Brownell and Tom Ostrom on News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Welcome back. Rochester Today continues with Tom Ostrom. What do you want to cover first of all, Tom? Well, with the killing of George Floyd and the prosecution of the police officers involved in the incident with him, uh, the sentencing is still continuing. An ex-police officer... Uh, Alexander King uh, has been sentenced to three and a half years in prison for his involvement. Uh, He took a plea in October for aiding and abetting second-degree manslaughter for not acting uh, medically, I guess, for not stopping his superior officer from his actions. And I guess and they're all blamed for not taking proper medical response to uh, to George Floyd. And so, uh, and then Three of the four officers involved now have been sentenced in the case. And Tao, Tao, who is already serving a three and a half year sentence for violating Floyd's civil rights, has opted for a trial. And will uh, that will see the verdict made by a Hennepin County Judge Cahill uh, around mid-February. So the Attorney General, the Assistant Attorney General, Matthew Frank, said these officers weren't just bystanders or rookies. Uh, he and his colleagues did a certain disservice to to law enforcement, and uh, so uh, that uh, that uh, controversy and sentencing goes on. It's interesting that, as you pointed out, the other officer Tao has opted for a trial in this case rather than take the same plea deal as King, because in essence, King won't serve a single day of that three and a half year sentence. He was already sentenced to three years in federal prison under the civil rights violation. And in the federal prison, three years is three years. There's no time off for good behavior in the state prison system. With time off for good behavior, 
King's sentence would actually work out to two and a half years. So in essence, he's serving both sentences at the same time. He'll finish his state prison sentence before he ever leaves federal prison. Mm-hmm. So it was a wash. And I, I just, I'm guessing that Powell would have been offered the same deal, but apparently he feels perhaps a need to uh, clear his name. He was the officer who, I think at one point in the video, the horrible video of George Floyd's um, being pinned to the ground, he's the one who asks if they should be getting him medical help at that point. And um, Chauvin rejected that, saying, no, he's, no, he's okay. Yeah. So I think, well, he might have a case. I don't yeah. know. And then he also stood between the officers and a crowd that was getting increasingly restive uh, down there. But uh, um, well, that goes on. Well, maybe then, I'm incorrect. When you say that, you're right. Tal was on the sidewalk or next to the sidewalk. Maybe his argument was, I wasn't part of that over the year. I was doing this. Yeah. There yeah. was another officer who, I believe. There was a, yeah. Who was with with Chauvin more directly? Yeah, because King yeah. was the one who was also on his back, and there was one officer holding his feet, and the yeah. officer who was holding his feet uttered what I what I had earlier said. So, in other words, never mind. It, it yeah. feels like Monday when I start out like that. Well, uh, you know, I, I and of course uh, George Floyd, a huge strong man and a felon. Uh, resisted arrest and he was on on heavily uh, on drugs you know my my bias is he died of his own drug intake and nothing could have been done to stop that an ambulance did come and i don't know if they picked him up or if they drove away a little bit no. to the crowd but but it's still a controversy but these are the sentences anyway okay to add to the the business last week uh there was an interesting side story to this the city of minneapolis has agreed to purchase the gas station right across the street from where this all occurred, which has been vacant uh, since then. Uh, has been uh, there was a killing that occurred in this gas station. It's been used as a pseudo community center, activist gathering point, free marketplace, whatever, you, whatever. It's been you know tied to that um, that entire neighborhood and the what was ultimately in some ways an occupation of that neighborhood by activists following George Floyd's death. Minneapolis, the city is purchasing it. They have not said what they're going to do with the property um, because the owners of it, the company that owned the gas station, wants out because they're very fearful of the liability of owning that property and having something else bad happen there. Like I say, there already was a violent crime committed there. And... um, so a lot of the activists have expressed outrage over the city of Minneapolis purchasing this because they want it left as a free gathering space or whatever. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a, strange things are happening, that's for sure. I hadn't planned to cover this, and I'd read it uh, rather sketchily uh, elsewhere. It's on my mind. Now you reminded me of it, that the city of Minneapolis made a generous settlement with some uh, Antifa demonstrators who sued because the cops roughed them up too much that the cops were really tough on them but they were doing the violence they were starting fires they attacked cops but somehow the city of minneapolis thought they deserved compensation and uh, i don't know of any police or 
people on the other side of it that got hurt, that got compensated. But uh, the politics continues as far as I'm concerned. All right. Alpha News interviewed a teacher and a former teacher, Debbie York, uh, who talked with their reporters. And she said that violence in the schools has become the norm. Teachers are not protected by the administration, especially if they're attacked by a minority student. She was attacked by a Somali student and uh, she was told to be quiet about it or she would be a racist. And she was attacked so badly that she was hospitalized. So she resigned from teaching uh, and, and now she's the founder of Minnesota Safe Schools Movement. And she said, I'm an accidental um, activist. And she's, uh, she talked about her surgeries and she said, teachers have been instructed to withhold discipline from students of color under the name of diversity. And we're failing these kids of color. We're giving them the wrong lessons. Um, and um, if you have a violent student, they're pushed right back into the classroom. It's not good for the child and learning uh, responsibility or good for the faculty or good for other students because some of these students have attacked other students too. And she said, teachers need to know they have a right to be safe. Now that's the Twin Cities schools, especially Minneapolis, allegedly. And they wonder, and well, it's, I think there is a correlation between reports like what this former teacher has said and parents trying to find other schools for their kids. Especially the Catholic schools have become incredibly popular. Mm -hmm. um, there was a period of decline for the Catholic schools, but not anymore. They're waiting lists. Yeah. Especially in the Twin Cities trying to get into these schools. Mm-hmm. And non-Catholics are among those who wish to yes. schools. A civil rights complaint filed against Faribault schools uh, over over a grant that excludes white students from the from the activities. And uh, the Faribault school district facing a civil rights complaint uh, over a drug use prevention grant that is intended for uh, students uh, who are minorities and ex it excludes white students. Alpha News learned that the Title VI complaint was filed against Faribault schools after the school board approved a $1 million grant to fund anti-drug abuse programs aimed at quote, black indigenous and people of color. And uh, uh, BIPOC is the, is the uh, acronym that's used to summarize that uh, complex group. And so uh, the Faribault school is roughly 60% non-white the, the, and uh, the public school involved, the, dis the, the district in Faribault is 60% non-white. That surprises me. And the city of Faribault itself is 75 to 80% white. And many of the city's non-white residents are Somali Muslims. So uh, anyway, uh, some uh, legal challenges to the allocation of of that fund. What I find interesting about that case is the grant program created by the state of Minnesota to address a problem uh, among, as you call, BIPOC, which has become the popular acronym students, and excluding the participation of white students who also face drug problems. During the discussions the Faribault School Board had, apparently there was one member of the Faribault School Board who expressed misgivings about this because this person feared litigation over this discrimination question. Mm. So it does make you wonder if this thing has legs. 
But then on the broader question, the grant program created by the state, is it unconstitutional? By even creating such a grant, is the state violating violating the law? Yeah. I so I, I don't have the answers to it, but it'll be something to track. You bet. And then uh, the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources sent out a newsletter uh, emphasizing the various cultural groups in Minnesota and thanking them for their contributions culturally and historically. And they omitted the Dakota Indian uh, community, which is quite complex, the Sioux Indians, people say, but the Dakota language group or uh, was excluded, and the DNR apologized, uh, and of course modified that lecture, or that letter, and uh, 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 apologized to the Dakota people, and they should have. My gosh, the, the Sioux Indians, uh, uh, the, the Indian cultures were in Minnesota before the time of Christ, and. Uh, um, they were the first uh, Minnesotans uh, arriving from Siberia across the Straits uh, into Alaska and disseminating throughout the Americas. So the DNR apologized, and uh, and they should have. And I think white cultures should apologize for more than that historically with our Indian friends. All right, we have to take a break for news. It's already that time of the day. We'll be back in a moment. Well, it'll be a little bit more than a moment with a news break, but back right after that. Uh, more Rochester today on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Tuesday with Tom Ostrom. I'm Andy Brownell. What do you want to start with, Tom, as we move on to broader spectrums of politics and current events? Well, I often complain, where are all the judges? Uh, Republicans don't seem to be good judge shoppers. Uh uh, but there's some progress here, rays of sunshine lately. The federal court blocked Biden administration from forcing Christian doctors to perform transsexual mutilation surgeries. Uh, a court blocked that at a blow to the Biden administration's leftist medical agenda, and it spares Christian doctors from uh, having to do what this article calls sex change mutilations and abortions. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the 8th District agreed that the Obamacare mandate and Biden's mandate uh, requiring uh, cooperation does irreparable harm to the plaintiff's exercise of religion and to the autonomy of physicians making choices. So I think that's good. That's interesting, too, because the 8th Circuit is Minnesota. We're part of the 8th Circuit. Uh Uh-huh. So that's the appeals court that's based in St. Louis, Missouri, which has not been really thought of as a highly conservative court, but that may have changed because of the Trump appointments. And maybe it's a bit more conservative than it used to be. It used to be more, I don't know, middle of the road, I guess. Well, it extends out in the western prairies that are more conservative, those northern states but you're right, in the, that part of it that's in the Midwest is liberal territory. Uh, then a federal court blocked Biden's mandate forcing religious hospitals to facilitate gender transitions. It's a related issue that, uh, he, that they wanted to force that. So did Obama. Obama went after the Little Sisters of the Poor who, who would not uh, be uh, threatened into practicing uh, procedures against their religion. 
and the Eighth Court of Appeals here affirmed a lower court's decision to block enforcement on the grounds that the intrusion upon Catholic plaintiffs uh, involves the free exercise of religion. And And then Friday's ruling, uh, which this article says, oh, here, the Catholic nuns, uh, clinics, university hospitals were among the plaintiffs. Um, and then Friday's ruling, they said, originated in North Dakota, is one of a twin set of cases challenging the Biden mandate. The second originated in Texas, decided in August by the Fifth Circuit Court, which also blocked uh, Biden's policies. And uh, and one, one observer said, we now have two different federal courts of appeals saying the Biden administration is permanently blocked from forcing religious people, doctors and hospitals to perform gender transitions, surgery in violation of their conscience. And, uh, and so what comes next? The Biden administration is seeking options for recourse. They just never quit. They never well, quit. The next step up the ladder would be the U.S. Supreme Court. So I don't know if they would even pursue that path because a ruling by the Supreme Court would create precedent. Mm -hmm. Uh, These rulings also create precedent, but obviously when it's the Supreme Court, it becomes the rule, you know, the, it becomes the law of the land at that point. Right. Rather than a hearing or rule. Right. And and then the uh, complexities that you're alluding to, uh, uh, the Supreme Court sometimes refuses to hear a case. They just, let, yep. let the last court decision uh, prevail. Which in essence would make it, at that point, the precedent-setting case Yeah, that would be relied on by other courts to issue their rulings. Um, the argument being made here is that if you are a healthcare provider or doctor or, or facility and accept federal money, you have to follow the dictates of the administration. And that federal money would include Medicare and Medicaid payments. And there's not, I don't know if there's any hospital in the land that doesn't receive reimbursement from those programs. So it is interesting to see these court rulings being handed down. And and Tom, I would argue that these court rulings against the Biden administration have been quite strident and strong, (laughs) uh, especially on the big issues like the student loan repayment program. Mm Mm-hmm. That thing right now is dead in the water. Now, he right. was able to use it as a um, an election issue. And to what level of success, I have no way to gauge. But the once again, the cynic in me suspects that those in the Biden administration pushed that, knowing full well it was going to be struck down by the courts. But they knew they would be able to use it to get younger people out to the polls during the time they needed it up running up to the election. Wow, well, well, the Democrats, uh, to, in my opinion, have so many stupid policies that I'm surprised when people point out how ingenious they are in their strategies. <laughs> <laughs> so they're smart and they're not smart as far as I'm concerned. It's wily is the term, I think. Oh, I that's, that's a good word. The Gateway Pundit, uh, Christina uh, Layla, Another court decision went against uh, the Biden administration, and this from an Obama-appointed judge. That's how bad the Democrats are, that the Obama judges are going against them. And an Obama-appointed judge 
declines to hold Trump in contempt over the classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, he refused to do that. The Biden's Justice Department asked a federal judge to uh, go after Trump's team for failing to comply with a subpoena on the Mar-a-Lago documents. And the Justice Department issued Trump a subpoena on that ground. And then they asked U.S. District Judge Beryl Howell, an Obama appointee, to hold Trump in contempt. But Judge Howell refused to do that. He said, I will not hold the former president in contempt. And this is something that the lawyers on both sides should decide for themselves, period. Mm. (laughs) In other words, negotiate it. Yeah. Uh, But we'll go, uh, McCarthy, the uh, uh, soon-to-be, I think, uh, Speaker of the House on the Republican side, and uh, McCarthy vows to subpoena the 51 intelligence agents who signed a letter saying the Hunter laptop laptop story was Russian collusion. Um, and so uh, uh, Twitter files were released uh, on this, but these 51 intelligence agents be- before the election said that new Hunter Biden laptop story is false. It doesn't have the things on it that are said. It's Russian disinformation. And also the Twitter files that pointed out these people that McCarthy said, we're going to subpoena them and we're going to take their clearances away, their security clearances, because they lied and they knew they were lying. But also in those Twitter files, Michelle Obama comes to the fore because she was asking people to to do that to him. But you got Clapper, you got Brennan, you got some other people that evidently are going to be called um, to the to the stand when the Republicans take over. They do have an out, though, and I've already heard this argument presented, and it's, it's to me, the, probably the most cynical argument you could present. Um, we didn't actually say that. What we said, it has the appearances of being Russian dis- disinformation. We didn't actually say it was Russian disinformation. I have already heard that argument being presented by one of the people who signed on to this thing. Wow. So, uh, <clears throat> but to me, it was a very blatant way to send a salvo to against the Trump reelection campaign, wow. and uh, and I, I think most people do view it as that. Anybody who's thought through it at all, but the the use the media's use as it as an excuse to do what they did in quashing the Hunter Biden story is probably more important to me than them actually issuing this document because at that point it was, oh, see, look, there's no debate here. These guys said this. Now we don't have to cover this story anymore because it was Russian disinformation. And that that was the message you got from the New York Times, the Washington Post, the LA Times, and the major TV networks. When they right. put the thing under the rug, is well, we're not the ones saying that. It's these former yeah. intelligence officials are saying it. Right. It's everything that has come out now with these Twitter files. People need to pay attention and read through this. This is this is your freedom of speech at stake here. These, right. To argue that Twitter was a private entity and can decide who uses its platform or not is a true statement. But if you look at how directly the government was involved in making the decision 
of who gets to express their opinion or not through Twitter, it's scary indeed because it was a significant influence. It was. And the FBI told Twitter and Facebook to be careful of the news that was going to come forth before the election about the laptop and uh, that should be questioned. Uh, And the FBI had the laptop and uh, knew that it was legitimate. In fact, Attorney General Barr in the Trump administration knew about the laptop, too, uh, and did absolutely nothing about it. Uh, Barr is critical of Trump now, but he he was not the wingman that uh, Eric Holder, Attorney General, was for Obama. Do we have time for another uh, story? Uh, Yeah, we do. Go ahead. Again, the rhino trouble in the Republican Party. Senator Mitt Romney, Republican, has called for the investigations into Hunter Biden to end, not to take place. He said there's not sufficient evidence. But then we find out the Gateway Pundit revealed that Romney's top advisor, Joseph Black, was on the board of the Ukrainian Burisma Holdings while Hunter Biden was also on that board. And so uh, was a friend of uh, Romney's uh, involved in that. And and then some other uh, congressional leaders too had relatives on that Burisma board. But Romney said, don't, he wanted to investigate Trump. He wanted Trump impeached, but he doesn't want uh, Biden, uh, uh, you know, Hunter Biden investigated. That to me is outrageous. Well, well he, I don't know how much influence he has over what's going to happen in the House because the Senate would not do the investigation. It's the House yeah. that would conduct the investigation. Interestingly enough, it's Romney's daughter who's in charge of the Republican National Committee. Uh, his niece. Oh, it's the niece. Okay. Yeah. And she, there's a big movement to get rid of her, too, in the Republican Party. She's lost the last several elections and hasn't been sufficiently aggressive, as you and I talked about at the beginning of the show. Interesting. A lot of Republicans want her replaced, too. Okay, we do have to take our break, so we better do that right now. We'll come back in just a moment this time with more of Tom Ostrom on Rochester Today, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. This is the family with Andy Brownell and Tom Ostrom on News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. We are back. Rochester today continuing here on News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Tom, we have a few minutes left for international type topics. What do you want to start with? Well, we talked about, uh, did you say Griner? What's her name? Yep, Griner. WNBA player? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, She was released from uh, Russian custody and and got back home. And exchanged for her, the Russians let her come home. And they got back, who's a a merchant of death, he's called. uh, And uh, his name is... Is, is Victor, his first name is Victor, and his last name is B-O-U-T, uh, I suppose, Bout. And he was an arms merchant, and he's responsible for the killing of lots of uh, people with his arms. And then he had affiliations with a terrorist group. And uh, so that, he was exchanged by the Biden administration and sent back to get the basketball player. Uh, and a U.S. Marine who's still in Russian custody was not among the people who were exchanged, and people are wondering about that. But anyway, so 
Lieutenant Colonel Bout gets back to Russia and he insults the United States that he had inhumane treatment when he was in prison. And, uh, and he's anxious now. He was convicted of conspiring to kill Americans, providing support with weapons to terrorists. And uh, Obama's Attorney General Eric Holder said he was one of the world's most prolific arms dealers uh, and uh, support of armed conflicts that was a concern. But anyway, he's back in Russia. And he said that he wants to support the Russians in Ukraine somehow. Ah, well, great <clears throat> news there. Um, I heard the explanation that the Biden administration gave <laughs> that the U.S. Marine continues to be held by the Russians is that they just would not bargain on him. That it came down to either we get Griner out with this trade or nobody goes home. So they took it. Mm-hmm. And so... I mean, read into that what you want. That's what they, you know, that was the explanation. Mm. And, so, and he's been there, I I want to say, four years. It's been a much more lengthy period of time than she has. And there's quite a bit of agreement among Western analysts that the charges against him are complete garbage. That he's being held as a pawn, mm-hmm. much like she was. The Marine, yeah. Yeah. All right, we have about two minutes left. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg is very concerned that a full-blown, quote, major war between Russia and the West could break out if this war continues there with the complexities of munitions and um, uh, long-range ballistic missiles hitting into Russia and he said it's a fateful time for Europe. It could go horribly wrong, and we could find ourselves in a conflict between Russia and the NATO nations, and uh, it'll get out of control if this not, is not ended soon. The former Norwegian prime minister said he's he hopes uh, that uh, a war with Russia can be directly avoided by the nations that are aiding the Ukraine, and uh, we'll see what Putin does. Yeah, I read a headline, and I apologize I didn't get to the meat of the article, but the headline and the sentence underneath it was that there's increasing concern among U.S. military and intelligence analysts, experts, what do you want to, everyone wants to call them, that, um, that yes, Ukraine could win, but what would be the cost to the United States and Europe in general, to provide Ukraine the ability to actually have victory, which would mean push the Russians out of the positions they're in in eastern Ukraine. The costs would be monumental, both monetarily and on the human scale of, of people killed. And as Stoltenberg pointed out, each one of these, uh, each time this escalates and flares up to a larger fight there's always the danger of the broader conflict mm-hmm. just how scary was it when the, that stray apparently anti-missile missile landed in Poland what if that had been a Russian missile that had mm-hmm. landed in Poland uh, how you know how do you back away from that when that would have been an attack on the on a NATO nation even though it may have been an accident you know it, as he pointed out, these things could escalate in a heartbeat. Sure. Zelensky 
quietly insists it still was a Russian missile fired by Russia. Yeah. Was, I think a Russian bit of armament that, that the Ukrainians captured. But uh, the question is, did the Russians do that or did uh, Ukraine? Either way, it appears calmer minds prevailed in that and there was no sort of retaliation yeah. involving Poland or NATO or the United States. Because Russian missiles are effective and they want to get missiles from Iran and Iran wants to help Russia. That'll that'll escalate things. Their, their missiles are working on, on Ukraine infrastructure, but the Ukrainians are doing a good job killing Russian soldiers. Uh, recently hit a hotel that killed and maimed many Russian uh, soldiers yeah. staying there. But so it goes on. It goes on and on and on. Tom, we have to run, though. We cannot mm-hmm. go on and on and on with the program, unfortunately. <laughs> We're going to hit the coaches show with the Gopher Coaches show here at the top of the hour. So we'll talk again Thursday. Thanks again, Tom. Great to see you. You too. That's Tom Ostrom. I'm Andy Brownell. Rochester Today, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. You wash your hands, you brush your teeth, but what about the 